It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 875 of Locked On Raptors for Saturday, January the 30th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode as well. Please make sure you're finding the podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Subscribing, rating, reviewing, all of that good stuff. It's always very appreciated when you help us out. Support the shows in the network that you want to support. We very, very much appreciate it. All right. On today's show, it's just me talking about the Raptors' 126-124 loss to the Sacramento Kings on Friday night. And I'm going to get into this in the first segment, but I'm pretty sure this was the low point of the season for your Toronto Raptors. They fall to 7-12, and their third straight loss after losses to Milwaukee and Indiana following a pretty good stretch of play. And it's all kind of come crashing down here. So we're going to dive into that, why this was the low point of the season. We're going to get into the rotation and sort of, I think, some things that were revealed by this Kings game and, you know, have kind of been building towards the thoughts I have on the rotation. You know, that's been a process for the last little while here, but I think this kind of crystallized a lot of things for me and hopefully it did for Nick Nurse as well. And then we'll get into a look ahead to the Orlando game on uh, Sunday, which Feels really important. I don't know. <laughs> Eight and twelve after twenty games feels significantly better than seven and thirteen. I don't know. I can't explain it. It just does. So we'll get into that uh, in the final segment as well. But let's get into the big takeaway. The biggest takeaway from this game, like I said, is that this was the low point of the season for the Raptors. And 
it kind of is that because it brought all the different Raptors issues together into one little tidy, depressing package. You had the lack of depth on display with the injuries to Norm Powell and OG Ananobi. You had the lack of any sort of center play, which we'll get into. You had the lack of crunch time juice and the abandonment of their best scorer late in games and their propensity for fake comebacks that don't end up actually bearing fruit. And you had the reliance on like very few brief stretches of good play to overcome large swaths of the game where they just didn't play well at all. And it's kind of like a, a muscle memory thing, I think, kind of falling back on what previous editions of the team have done where, yeah, they don't play necessarily 48 minutes of amazing basketball, but they were good enough and talented enough that their eight-minute stretches of shutting everybody down and running and gunning on the other team going the other way, those would be enough. And it's just not enough when you have this little margin for error, this little depth beyond your best players. And... So yeah, the depth, I mean, look, it's no secret this is a team that doesn't have a lot of good players right now, and when you're missing Norm Powell and OG Ananobi, who have been basically your workhorses on offense for the last two weeks, it's going to hurt. And of course, they were deemed to be without both of those guys. It was a surprise uh, absence for Norm Powell. It seems like both of these guys are going to be out for Sunday's game as well. OG's already been declared out. Norm is listed as doubtful, so I would expect not to see those guys in the Sunday game. And I thought against the Kings, like, maybe they could get by, right? The Kings have a terrible defense, historically bad defense, that is, and I thought maybe, just maybe, this would kind of be a game where a lot of what has been ailing the Raptors would be healed just by the very, very movable force that is the Sacramento Kings, and even with the depth issues, I thought they would have enough to skate by. They end up starting Terrence Davis. We'll get into Davis in the second segment and why I'm just so done with the entire Davis experience from the off-court stuff and the reasons why I don't think he should be playing right now anyway to the reasons why on the court he is making it very clear that he shouldn't be playing. But you have him start. You have Aaron Baines start, of course, as well. Um, And, you know, just it didn't work out. Baines had a tough game. His defense in particular was really, really bad. Uh, And again, this kind of goes to the other issue in addition to the depth is that their center play is miserable right now. When Chris Boucher is not bombing away from three and scoring 20 points a game, his defensive deficiencies really come to light. And we saw that in this Kings game, and they could never quite get the mix right with who was out there to play the five. I thought it was a good move, despite Baines, I think, playing better than Boucher in the first half. I thought it was a good move to start the second half with Boucher and have Baines come off the bench just because... Boucher against Hassan Whiteside is a horrifying matchup that the Raptors got bludgeoned in. And frankly, I think had Rashawn Holmes not fouled out of this game late and brought Whiteside back in, the Raptors probably win it. (laughs) And it was just their inability to do anything about Whiteside, whether it was with Boucher or with the the rest of the guys who kind of played small ball five in unison, uh, kind of center by committee in the closing lineup. They just they didn't have the juice to stop Whiteside, and the lack of center depth and center quality is so apparent on display. You know, the games where Baines looks really good, it's not surprising that things look good for the Raptors, where he's in position, where he's not having to over-rotate, where he's not, like, totally missing his assignments at the rim. The Raptors look kind of like they're supposed to, where they have the security of a good rim protector behind them, and they can do their fly around and hunt for steals and chase three-point shooters thing to their heart's content. But in a game like this, where Baines is out of sorts, where he's not at the rim doing what he's supposed to do, where he's getting blown by, 
you the entire sort of ethos of the Raptors defense falls apart and there's no other player on the roster who can even come close to approximating what the Raptors old centers did. Baines is the closest thing and he has done it at times here and there. Some of their better defensive games have featured Baines playing well defensively, but it's just, it's not consistent enough. And you're just, you know, how, how long have I been talking this year about the idea of going from 48 minutes of good center play to whatever it is they have now, and it just oscillates back and forth, where they're just, you know, last night they got maybe 10 good minutes of center play, (laughs) and most of that was late in the game, where they didn't actually have a center on the floor, and it's just, it's a real pervasive problem that's not going to be fixed by just rolling out the same dudes. They just don't have the juice, and it's pretty clear, and then you get into the other issue, which is the crunch time stuff, and the fact that, A, they have to keep having these fake comebacks where they're coming back late in games, or the sort of inverse is true where they're up big and then they have to like barely hang on or lose at the end. They just can't win easily. They can't win comfortably. They can't even lose comfortably. <laughs> That's the thing. It's so frustrating is even when it looks like a game should not be in reach, they can put it together for six, seven, eight minutes and look like world beaters. And it's just not enough because of the 36 minutes of poor play that came before that. And a real big issue that I think is really popping up in crunch time is, and I've said it before, and this was a particular example because the guy wasn't even on the floor until there were three minutes and 52 seconds left in the game. Pascal Siakam just is not getting any looks late in games. He's just not. He, you know, the keeping him on the bench for eight minutes in the fourth quarter didn't really understand that. Yes, there were weird sub patterns, maybe long lulls without stoppages. I don't know, but He's your best scorer, who was absolutely eviscerating the Kings in this game. He has 32 points on 11 of 20. His post-up game looked incredible. He was playing the Kings defenders and the help defenders like a fiddle and spinning away at the right times and finding himself really easy looks. And he just didn't have any of that in the fourth quarter involved because, A, he wasn't on the floor. And, yes, sure, Nurse was riding a lineup that was playing well, but, like, put your freaking scorer in. I don't know. That's the big problem here is you can't score on this Kings defense. It's unbelievable. And so I just I found it a little curious that he didn't come in till late. And then when he did come in, there was not much in the way of stuff run for him anyway. And look, part of it's got to be on Pascal, I guess, to sort of assert himself and call for the ball and take rebounds and run off of them. He only had four rebounds in this game. He usually tends to run the offense whenever he's rebounding. And I think that there's kind of a correlation there. But they also just need to work him into the offense more often. Have him screen sometimes. Have him with the ball in his hands with someone screening for him. I don't know why they don't go back to it because it made them the second best crunch time team in the NBA last year, basically using him in screen and roll actions as the ball handler or the screener essentially every time when you were in a close game with five minutes or, or five minutes to go or less. And... They just haven't gone to it this year, and that is another problem with the team is that they're just not incorporating their best scorer, and yes, he's had his ups and downs. Yes, he's been inconsistent. He's had bad shooting games. He needs to be more aggressive for sure, but in a game where he was being aggressive and was carrying the offense at times, they just completely forgot about him, and that is kind of unforgivable to me. I don't know. He was unguardable by any member of the Sacramento Kings, and he went, I believe, with just three points in the fourth quarter, which is just not enough. We got more to kind of get into uh, and sort of dissect from this one. And I want to get to the rotation questions that have maybe started to crystallize a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll get to those in just one second. Uh, But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at betonline.ag, the best place for you to put your money down. When you want to gamble on some sports, baby, betonline.ag is the number one source uh, for sports betting that we trust. You can go to their 
site, betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On, and a 50% welcome bonus will come your way, meaning if you put in 100 bucks, you get 150 bucks to play with. That's an awesome little deal, and there's a ton of things for you to put your money down on right now. You've got the NFL playoffs. You've got the Super Bowl coming up next week. A million prop bets there. You've got the nightly NHL MLB slates. You've got baseball coming up, and you can do futures. Put your money on the Blue Jays, for instance, because they're going to be really good. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action, and don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so just a heads up, the next episode of the podcast will be Monday after the Orlando Magic game. Hopefully, we're not further into the pool of despair after that one. Um, But the thing that I want to get into now, we went through a lot of the reasons why the last that game was sort of like the the low point of the season and the, the different sort of issues with the team that we've known about all season all kind of coming together into one package in one game we covered that I do want to kind of talk about maybe a silver lining of this game which is that just maybe the rotation is crystallizing a little bit finally for Nick Nurse and it's tough to say because Nick Nurse has been so erratic with his rotation patterns this year he has had no real rhyme or reason to what he's doing, it, it's, it seemed at times. You know, guys will be playing well and then be out of the rotation for a half and then back in. And it, it just it's very, very perplexing as to what Nurse is doing. And I feel for him a little bit because he's had, you know, minor injuries here and there, guys missing. It was six straight games now. The Raptors have started a different starting lineup, and that's obviously difficult for a coach to, to contend with. But I don't think Nurse is doing himself any favors with the decisions he's making not just in terms of the you know the erratic nature of them and the cycling of the musical chairs and the, the varying guys who are getting looks night to night, but I just think some of the guys he's playing don't deserve to be playing minutes. <laughs> you know, there's been this thing this year where it's kind of felt like Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas have been in sort of this like, okay, one or the other has to play situation, and I just kind of think maybe both shouldn't play. <laughs> like, I think both have their reasons why. Nick Nurse should not trust them. He trusts one clearly more than the other right now. But I think this game against the Kings and the guys who were on the floor doing the dirty work and making things work late in the game, I really do hope that Nick Nurse kind of sees the tea leaves. Sees the tea leaves? Sees, I don't know, has some clear eyes. That's what I'm looking for here after this game and sort of realizes, oh, yeah, maybe those guys should be playing because they are doing things that the likes of Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas just can't. And... I'll get to the guys who I think should be playing in a sec. Davis and Thomas, I think it's fair to say, neither really deserve to be playing right now. I think Thomas, you know, it's exciting, it's fun. He shoots, he's Mr. 99%, all that stuff. We love Alex Wong and all that. 
But Matt Thomas, there's a reason why he's not playing, and I don't begrudge Nick Nurse for holding him out of the lineup. He can't defend. He got blown by by Corey Joseph like three times last night, and I really feel like the good Matt Thomas defense that we saw in the bubble really is doing a lot of the work for his reputation right now because if we recall last year during the regular season, Matt Thomas was a bad defender. The chicken with the head cut off metaphor was thrown around a ton. That's what he was. He didn't know what he was doing. In the bubble, they specifically had him in there more often than not when they were running zones. And in that Celtic series in particular, when they were really zone heavy, that's when Matt Thomas looked pretty passable because it's a much less difficult defensive assignment when you have dudes swarming to wall off drivers and the blow buys are just harder to come by. When you're Matt, when when you're Matt Thomas's guy, and Matt Thomas is defending you. When you have limbs reaching in and trying to stop you, it's just, it's it's a lot harder, and you can't brutalize a guy like Matt Thomas so easily. And I think that sort of little small sample of him looking good in the bubble was sort of like I guess overhyped and made us believe in a Matt Thomas that doesn't really exist. Because he's a bad defender, and the, it's not just the defense that's an issue when he's out there. You know, the offense hasn't performed terribly well when he's on the floor, and that sort of runs counter to what you think, right? It's like, oh, this guy's an incredible shooter. The gravity's remarkable. Teams are terrified of him. But the thing that happens with Matt Thomas when he plays is that the offense becomes about Matt Thomas, which should never be a sentence you're saying. <laughs> he's Matt Thomas. He's a minimum player who was not an NBA player until last year and was playing in Europe. He's a nice little piece to have, I think, particularly in situations where a zone is giving you trouble. You need a zone buster. That's great. Throw him out there, especially if you're playing a zone on the other end. Basically, the Miami Heat are the team I think they can probably play Matt Thomas against the most, and they didn't really take advantage of that last week. But when he's out there and he's not playing in his own defense, he's getting brutalized defensively. His offense, it becomes almost more of a sort of requirement to use him on offense because you need to make it worth it. And it seems like the team is just like, all right, we've got to get Matt Thomas the ball because what the hell else is he out here for? And the offense kind of loses its identity. They run all this little two-man game stuff up at the top of the arc. They get bogged down with it. They focus on it too much. Teams are focused on stopping Thomas. He's not getting good looks out of it. You know, when he comes into games, yes, he'll get up a couple threes, but they're not really ever like wide open. Sometimes he'll burst open for one, but for the most part, heavily contested. He's being run off the line a ton. And... The, the offense kind of loses its identity. It becomes isolated around this one little dude who is just not at all someone who you can build an offense around. And so it's just sort of diminishing returns. I, I just I get why Nick Nurse doesn't want to play him. When it comes to Terrence Davis, I mean, how many times has Nick Nurse eviscerated a dude for not knowing how to play defense and understand the scheme, yet Terrence Davis continues to get run? Despite all of the off-court stuff, which we've been over a million times, he should not be playing at the very least while they figure out the court case and, and while that's still in the courts and up for debate as to what happened, quote-unquote up for debate, it, he should not be playing. He should be on leave and she like, paid leave. He should be playing no minutes. He started last night because of the injuries and all of the reasons why Terrence Davis shouldn't be playing for basketball reasons were apparent in this one as well. He scored 12 points. Congratulations. Good for him. And sometimes those little bursts of scoring are admittedly very helpful for a team that can have those droughts. But how often does Terrence Davis not give up all the points he scores on the offensive end back on the defensive end? He does it all the time. The, the fouling. He had a foul yesterday, I believe on De'Aaron Fox on the run, 
just like the laziest foul, giving up an and one, like not even trying to deter the shot or alter the shot or make it difficult to complete the three-point play at all. He jumps at shooters. He jumps basically at everything. He's like a scared like rabbit <laughs> whenever someone comes near him. He has to jump and lurch. He just He's a bad defender. He doesn't have the instincts. On offense, sure, some of the heat check shots he takes go in, and that's great. But also, a lot of the shots he takes are insanely bad and ill-advised shots. Early in the clock, step back, like jab step, Carmelo Anthony-looking mid-rangers from a guy who's decidedly not Carmelo Anthony. He's just not a good team basketball player. He's a talented, like, basketball player in, like, the, oh, he can score baskets and is, like, athletic and all that stuff sense. But in terms of, like, how to play basketball with other people, he's just not good at it. He would be great in a one-on-one tournament. Playing with four other people upon, like, when people are depending on, upon him to do things in concert with the team just doesn't work. And he just seems to make the entire team dumbed down when he's out there. He doesn't have the defensive IQ to be around on the string and, and, and fly around. He doesn't, you know, hold up his end of the bargain and not foul. Like, he just he derails everything on that end of the floor. And so whatever little scoring outbursts he has completely kind of fall on deaf ears to me. He's just a gunner. That's all he is. And he's not helping move the team forward when he's out there. He's just kind of doing his own thing while the rest of the game is happening. And I don't think he should be playing anymore. He just He's not good. Him and Matt Thomas should not be playing for this team right now, which leads me to the guys who should be playing. And I think it was pretty clear. Like, there's sort of a hierarchy on this team. There's tiers. There's the top four guys who I think most nights you can pretty much depend on. Norm Powell is inching closer towards being in that tier. Currently, he's kind of on his own tier. Sometimes he's unreliable, but he's been good enough recently, kind of showing all the things he did last year when healthy, that I think he's probably closer to that reliable five tier, which is great to see. After that, you have Chris Boucher kind of in his own very, very erratic, pretty good, but also can be very bad for you tier. Probably should play, but also pretty with a pretty short leash. If you think he doesn't have it to start the game, then maybe pull him out. And then, you know, Baines is kind of on his the tier below all these other guys. Like, in theory, what he does should be good for the team, but he doesn't do it well enough to really fit in. And, and to me, he's just like the clear spot that needs upgrading. And a tier above him, I think, are the sort of what I'm going to call the adult connectors of the team. You've got DeAndre Bember, Yuta Watanabe, and Stanley Johnson, all of whom have their limitations, particularly on offense. You know, none of them are great shooters, and that is going to always limit them. But they are all smart adult basketball players who know how to defend, understand the Raptors system for the most part. They are very good with the closeouts. They're very good on-ball defenders. They're good team defenders. DeAndre Bembry can handle the ball a little bit. So can Watanabe and Johnson, actually. Like, they're all pretty good playmakers with not much shooting. But all of them kind of fit into the same little vein of connector, where... If they're out there with four other guys who can score and who can do stuff with the ball and who are also kind of on the same page as them defensively, then you have what you saw in the fourth quarter where the Raptors played really damn well with Watanabe and Bembry and Johnson out there together at one point. And Siakam came in for Johnson when he got hurt uh, and banged his knee, I think, with De'Aaron Fox. And you saw it like you have the old guard guys, the main five, four guys, whatever, all of whom understand what's going on on the floor understand how to play with one another and then you have these sort of easily insertable guys like Watanabe and Johnson and uh, Benbury who they're easy to play with they're smart players they're cerebral they know what's going on (laughs) and I'm not surprised that they look really good when those guys are out there 
especially Watanabe. I mean, he's just so smart and he's in the right place all the time. That's what you need from a fifth guy. And when you have your fifth guy instead being a Baines, who's at a position all the time, or a Boucher even, who's often at a position and is not the rebounder or defender that you kind of need from your center. And he can kind of weigh things down if he's not scoring. And with Davis and Thomas and Paul Watson too, when he's played, he's been a train wreck defensively as well. Then you see all those little gaps and you see why the defense breaks down. You see how they give up these enormous quarters, the 36-point first quarter, the 36-point third quarter, the 32-point second quarter, like the, just the breakdowns over and over, the wide-open buddy-heeled threes, the being out of position and losing offensive rebounds and getting tor- torched that way. When you have smarter players out there who are willing to play within themselves and not kind of go outside of the team structure, you mitigate a lot of those mistakes and problems. Yes, you know, they were small in the at the end of the game against the Kings. They lost some offensive boards to Hassan Whiteside, and that cost them. And DeAndre Bembry had a bad foul after a really good defensive possession on De'Aaron Fox to close the game. That was unfortunate, but for the most part, those guys really fit into the team structure. And to me, should be part of the rotation. It should be the main five guys we know, Chris Boucher, and then Bembry, Watanabe, Johnson, those should be the guys at this point. Mount Malachi Flynn probably fits closer to the adult connector tier than to the sort of erratic weirdo tier that the Davis Thomas Watson kind of group is right now. But obviously he doesn't quite have the trust of, of Nick Nurse and there's still a lot of growth to do. And I think maybe we put too much on Flynn after three nice preseason games. But I, I think to me, it's pretty clear if the Raptors have any hope of sort of mitigating all the things that have gone wrong and, and limiting the mistakes and cutting down on all of their miscues, having the smart dudes who are good basketball players who are maybe a little bit underwhelming in Johnson, Watanabe, and Benbury be part of the rotation is probably the way to go. You should never have fewer than two or three of the main five guys on the floor at all times, and most of those other gaps should be filled by these smart connector guys who, limited they may be, but they have a lot to offer in terms of just, like almost in the lack of things they have to offer it's kind of what they offer it's they are steady reliable they're not going to play outside of themselves they're going to make the next play they're going to connect they're going to pass they're going to dribble and sometimes they're going to hit a three for you and that's going to be incredibly valuable obviously you'd rather have better players in those situations you're seven through ten or whatever but i think the way those guys are playing right now you know it's just maybe you even just like get rid of Baines from the rotation. I don't know. Like he's, he does good things. His screening is nice. Sure. His defense can be good, but he does a lot of silly things as well. The three point shot is not good. And it, it kind of takes away from the rest of the offense. And uh, like, you're never seeing Benbury Watanabe or Johnson take away from anything. And hopefully we'll see those guys get more increased run. I mean, Watanabe was incredible. 12 points for him. Benbury had seven. You know, they both uh, Benbury and Watanabe hit a three. Johnson hit a three as well. They they, they did their did they four threes from those guys on eight, seven attempts. Pretty damn good. So that's where I'm at with how the rotation should be shaking out. We're going to move on and finish up and sort of take a look ahead to the Orlando Magic game in just a second. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar money can buy. They are wonderful. They have 18 amazing flavors for you, including some of my favorites like lemon almond cheesecake, orange and toffee almond. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. And they're great for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for keto diets as well. And they just, they're they're really, really great as like a meal replacement thing in the middle of the day for your breakfast even. If you're not much of a breakfast eater but you want something in your stomach, a Built Bar is a great, great choice to start the day. 
Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off of your next order. That is the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who can help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so we take a look ahead to the Raptors game against the Orlando Magic on Sunday just to close things out here. Uh, Look, the Raptors... Really got to win this game. <laughs> like, there's no must wins and things like that. There's still only like a couple games out of the playoffs, a couple games out of sixth, whatever. There's still plenty of time. And my whole thing of this still feels like a five or six seed to me. I still believe that in my heart of hearts. I still believe that the good flashes of this team can be extended out to larger stretches of the game and make them more of a team that can do what we've seen in the past. Maybe not to the same degree where they're beating the piss out of teams every single night, but. Cruise control wins where they kind of lead by 10 all night. That should be what this team is about because of what their defensive ceiling can be and how their offense has been, I think, a little bit better than I thought it would be coming into the season. There's a good team here somewhere, but the more losses pile up, the more difficult defending this hill that I will die on gets, and it becomes a far more exhausting position to try to argue and I totally understand the despair kind of seeping in. Like, I don't really understand last night's game necessarily being the jumping off point for people to really fully full in, fall into total despair about the team. They were down Norman OG. That was bad, obviously. It was a bad loss. Like I said, lowest point of the season. But if you have been down on the team, like, you know, this shouldn't be what puts you over the edge or anything like that. It's just, again, sort of an amplification of all of the issues that we pretty much know exist with the team right now. Either way, beating Orlando on Sunday would be quite important and big and helpful and would make everything maybe feel a little bit like less terrible. They would have a, a second 10-game stretch of going 6-4 and four as opposed to 2-8 and eight to start the season. It's a market improvement. And, you know, if you can kind of sell yourself on these 10-game increments, you know, if you can get better over the course of each 10 games, then you're looking pretty good by season's end. Even if they finish 5-5, five and five, much better, obviously. We've seen some very good stretches of basketball over the last 10 or so, and that's been nice to see. But, you know, eventually the nice basketball has to turn into wins. And I think Orlando serves as a nice opportunity. I mean, I thought the Kings served as a nice opportunity to get it back in the win, win column and feel good about yourself. Obviously, that didn't work out so well. So predicting anything seems a little bit fraught at this point. You know, this isn't a team that you can kind of count on to take care of business against bad teams because they themselves have kind of been a bad team this year, even though... Again, their numbers suggest they've been a lot better than their 7-12 and record. You know, the Magic are down. Uh, Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac, they're kind of a rudderless, sad sack organization at this point. They had the nice start, and they've kind of fallen off drastically since then. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun one, I guess, to see if the Raptors can find ways to you know, deal with Nikola Vucevic. Maybe Aaron Baines can actually have some success as a post defender against Vooch. Obviously, Marcus Saul was Vooch's daddy for the last couple of years with the Raptors. And 
I, I don't expect we'll see Baines hold him to like a two of twelve night or anything like that. But it seems like the kind of the guy, the kind of guy that is that Baines profiles to maybe defend well. I'm not sure. This could be a tough one for Boucher. Ken Birch comes off the bench and he's mean and elbowy and chiseled and probably not the kind of guy who Chris Boucher is going to have a fun time trying to box out. I, I just, for me in this one, I want to see a bit more of a crystallization of the rotation and maybe a, an uptick in the trust and belief in the Ben Watanabe Johnson crew, just because I think they earned it in that game against the Kings on Friday. And I think at some point you have to find some sort of steady rotation. I know with Dwayne Casey, that was a lot of the time the sort of uh, bugaboo with him is he was so steadfast in his rotation that he didn't try anything outside of it over the course of a season, and that became a problem. Nurse obviously is very adaptable, very eager to try new things, throw stuff against the wall, but I still think you have to have some sort of skeleton rotation that you kind of know these guys are going to play in what orientation and at what points in the game they're going to play. Who knows? But I would like to see maybe a whittling down of the number of guys who were playing. I mean, last night we saw six guys play off the bench. If you can whittle that down to Boucher, Watanabe, Johnson, and Bembry in this game, um, especially with Norman OG out, I, I think I'd be okay with that. Um, and like maybe those guys are competing to see who holds on to a spot after Norm comes back and after OG comes back. You know, that that's also a thing. Um, I'm also curious, Eric Kareen tweeted out today about how maybe Utah sort of fits in with the starters as, as a small ball lineup. Um, and... I'm interested in that. We obviously won't see that against the Magic on Sunday because there's no OG, but you know, I, I was talking about all season long how I'd like to find like a third guy who's a little bit bigger than Norm to slot in with the Fred, Kyle, OG, Pascal lineup. And Bembry was my original thought, but maybe Utah's the guy as Eric Kareem po- you know, uh, pondered today because of his size, because he can kind of gang rebound a little bit. Maybe he's the one that kind of fits in there and makes that a pretty potent lineup. I mean, that is to me... One thing we haven't seen a lot of, and again, health has been, you know, forbidding it a little bit, and just the play of certain players has made it tough as well. But I think now that you kind of have your main five guys kind of coming into into focus, like going small more often, even you know once they're back and healthy, or even in the game tomorrow where they don't have Norm or OG, going small I think is maybe the route here because of the bad center play you're getting, because of the lack of defense you're getting from your centers. If you can just cut out the middleman and just play small with your good defenders and have OG play the five or Pascal play the five, that might be the way to go. We've talked about that a lot, and that's kind of rehashing a lot of thoughts I've had all season long, but holds up. <laughs> like th- That might just be the best way to mitigate the bad center play. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in this Magic game. Again, a win would go a long way to making things feel a lot less terrible. 8-12 and 12 feels about six games better than 7-13, and 13, not one game better. So we will see. I uh, will do a podcast on Monday, of course, breaking that game down for you. And uh, hopefully it won't be too despair fueled or anything like that. Try to get Big V on for that one. And then this coming week as well, you know, all of the things we've talked about here today kind of point to what I've been saying all along. And what I think a lot of people have been saying is that the Raptors need to go make a trade for somebody. They need to find a center upgrade. They need to maybe find some extra ball handling and scoring off the bench or whatever it might be. I think Norm has kind of mitigated the need to go and do that with the way he's played in terms of the bench scoring. I think he's been fine and, in fact, very important and good, and I'm less eager to move him out for for something for an upgrade now. But it might have to happen if you want to get one of those big fish, one of those big contract dudes who are out there at Andre Drummond or something. And so next week, I am going to dive into, uh, with a couple of the Lockdown hosts, both from Lockdown Cavs and Lockdown Wizards, 
diving into potential Bradley Beal and Andre Drummond packages and what might work. Obviously, just, uh, you know, feeding into the trade industrial complex and, uh, you know, just wish casting a little bit. It's probably not going to happen, but figuring out what package would make sense once we get to February 22nd and contracts can be moved again. So um, that'll be coming up this week as well. It'll be a busy week. The Raptors play a bunch of games and hopefully are clawing back towards 500 by the time we finish up next week, but we shall see. Either way, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been a uh, rather frantic episode. My brain is uh, very scrambled by this Raptors team, and I'm sure everyone else is kind of feeling the same. Hope you're not taking it too hard. It's just a basketball team at the end of the day, and ultimately still looking at my championship bobblehead from Kyle Lowry sitting on my desk right now, so things are not so bad. But uh, it'd be nice to see them be fun again because uh, you need some fun and good things in the world right now, and the Raptors are not that at the moment. Either way, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back again Monday. And uh, as always, subscribe, rate, review. Find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can support all the other Locked On shows we have going strong. Locked On Leafs with Mike DiStefano breaking down your 7-2 and two Toronto Maple Leafs who are just cruising right now, as well as the uh, Locked On Blue Jays with AJ Andrews breaking down the Blue Jays who are set to be quite, quite good. So go and listen to that podcast as well. All right, talk to you Monday uh, with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Have a good weekend. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.